Welcome to That's So New Media, a podcast about tech's impact on creative culture. Today, we're getting into the nitty-gritty reality of making a living as an artist, what it's like to juggle commercial and personal work, and what those even mean. Today, our friends are Reza Ali Hello. and Kyle McDonald. Hi. Reza is a computational designer, software engineer, and artist. His work revolves around graphic and motion design, digital fabrication, computational geometry, visual and spatial computing, and all things generative, procedural, and algorithmic. He's worked at Intel, Google, and Apple, while also creating design tools and doing visuals for musicians like OKGo and Deadmau5. Kyle's an artist working with code. He crafts interactive installations, sneaky interventions, workshops, and toolkits for other artists working with code. He explores new tech to understand how they affect society and build alternative futures. He works with machine learning, computer vision, social and surveillance tech, spanning commercial and art spaces. His work has been commissioned and shown at places like the VNA, Ars Electronica, iBeam, and the like. No pressure. Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. Woohoo! Um, so let's just dive straight into it. How do you distinguish between commercial and personal work? Yeah, it's... Mm, that's a super hard question. <laughs> I, I think I have a pretty simple answer to that. I think commercial work is anything you do kind of for other people, mm. like businesses or agencies that essentially are, are using you as kind of like a person that creates output. That's kind of my definition for okay. commercial work. Yeah. Versus personal? Personal work is more things that are driven by internal curiosity, like the pursuit of knowledge or kind of like creating something that is a statement. Gotcha. Can they be done for other people? You can collaborate. I feel like that that then goes into the realm of collaboration, Gotcha. you know, mm. which could be funded, right? Which then yeah. I feel like it's a commission. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And Kyle? Yeah, I think for me, you know, the art is when I provide conceptual direction. And sometimes that can even be in service of a client. But if I'm really directing it in a way that gives me a lot of autonomy, then that starts to fit more into that artistic category. Whereas, yeah, commercial work is generally in service of someone else or some company. But um, not everything really fits into this clear distinction. It's a little more like a spectrum. And like, for example, one of the biggest projects I'm working on right now involves managing a team of like 10 people, but it's an art project. And it's not my project, it's being directed by another artist. So it's not really commercial work, but it's kind of a client artwork. Um, or, you know, I'm doing some work for a nonprofit right now that's directed by other folks, but it's definitely, I wouldn't call it commercial work. Right, yeah, yeah. It might fall into the Reza's definition of collaboration. Yeah, which is like, you know, bringing a lot of what you have in personal work, but like having to match that with someone else's personal practice as well, which can definitely be really enlightening. So when you have those definitions, what's the ratio like in your own work? Like, do you guys tend to do more commercial work or personal work? And how has that played out? I think it depends on where I was in my career. And I know that in my 20s, in my early 20s, I did a lot of personal work, mainly because like <laughs> the clients weren't there. Mm -hmm. And also I had more space and time. And recently in the last, like, I would say five years, I've done way more commercial work, probably like 90% commercial work. Not because I didn't want to do artistic work. I just decided to focus my, just my energies into like making money. So then I could take more time off to actually focus on making artwork. So yeah, my breakdown has been like majority commercial work for the last five years. Yeah, I wonder when you're young, um, because there's that like lack of clients, you have so much more freedom to just do your own stuff. But at the same time, you're wishing so hard that commercial clients would come in and help you pay bills. And then when you finally get to that point where clients are coming in all the time, then you start to go, wait a minute, I want to do personal things. And how do I turn this stuff down so I can work on my own stuff? Yeah. Um, so it's like this funny balance of like, you always, the grass is always greener. <laughs> totally. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think right now I'm probably at 70-30, mostly commercial work, and it's kind of higher than usual because I took on a lot of big projects at the end of last year. But again, that's kind of in the same vein as what Reza was just describing. I wanted, I had a really specific thing I was trying to accomplish. I had a lot of college loans and I wanted to get them paid off. And I kind of worked through that and made that happen. But then I got into this habit of just like doing a lot of commercial work, which isn't really where I want to be. And getting back into the artwork, it's something that's been helping is working on small projects as much as possible. Yeah, I've been in the same boat where I feel like I got really used to doing commercial work and then I just, it became a habit. And recently I've been trying to like 
you know, reconsider my approach and also like that balance of like how much personal, how much commercial. Kyle, when you mention small projects, what does what is deemed as a small project to you? <laughs> a small project's like something that I can do over a week or a weekend. Man. <laughs> I feel like what you can do in a week is like what it would take me six months to do. So I'm like, I don't even know what that means for Kyle. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those projects conceptually evolve over a much longer period of time, but then maybe, you know, over six or eight months, I'm thinking about it in the back of my head and slowly start to realize, oh, I need this toolkit or I need to implement it this way. And then when I do finally sit down to kind of build something, then it can happen pretty quickly. Um, I just did this project called NVIDIA CO2, which was like a kind of speed weekend project, just looking into the emissions of GPUs that are used for doing machine learning. And um, that was something I was thinking about for over a year. But yeah, I put it together in a weekend. Wow, that's incredible. Um, me personally, I kind of feel, I realized this recently where whenever I get really sad, because I haven't done any personal work in a long time. Mm. And so for me, now I'm realizing like when I get to a dark place, I'm like, oh, it's because I haven't done my own work. And so I should probably put some time into that. Um, but then you get into this funny space of like, then other work comes in and like you get emails and all these things. So how do you guys like make sure that personal work becomes a priority? Or is it? <laughs> I definitely think you need to feed the soul. And like, for me, that means like taking time to make some work uh, taking time to look at other people's work, even just to get inspired so you can make your own work not actually working. So for me right now, that looks like, you know, taking a break from client work and taking a step back to figure out like what it is the next project's going to be like the personal project for me. Mm. But that's after like five years of going hard in the commercial world. <laughs> actually, that being said, um, you know, you have to put in the hard work for your freedom to be able to come at some point. Um, when you guys were starting out, was there, you know, is there something that you wish you knew earlier about that balance or how to maintain that personal practice? Um, I think like whenever I go to UCLA shows or stuff like that, I see a lot of students who are super excited, but they don't really know what the next step for themselves are. And they're looking towards these artists who have had these long decades of practices of, of like really solid work and um, they don't really know where to start. And I don't know what to tell them. Um, are there things that you guys wish you knew earlier on? There's so many different models to go from, you know, getting out of grad school into having a decades long career. I don't know that there's one direction, but, you know, some people go into academia and they start teaching other people, spend some time in industry, and that gives them the freedom that they need to make their own work. I don't know. There are some common lessons, though, between those different paths. I think something I wish I knew sooner was that my time is really priceless. Like when I'm getting paid or reimbursed for it, like, it, it's not really for my time. It's sort of like more of a stipend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time that you agree to work on something, you're not just getting paid for it. You're also getting paid to say no to everything else that might come to your mind or any other interesting projects mm. that will come up. And I think when you start kind of treating your time with the respect it deserves, then uh, you start seeing work a little bit differently. Um, I think it took me, you know, at least a few years to learn that lesson. And a lot of people were really helpful in teaching that to me, like um, Golan Levin has given me endless advice about how to art. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Joel Gethin Lewis was running a company in London for a long time with Pete Helicar. They were the first, one of the first kind of commercial projects I worked on was 2009, this piece called Night Lights with um, Zach Lieberman and, and Joel and a couple other people. And um, from that, I learned like, you can convince a client to let you make something without any logos on it. And you can convince a client to let you open source something and that you can basically stand your ground when you're doing this kind of commercial work. Yeah. There's a lot of little lessons like that, that if you just collaborate with the right people who have been doing this for longer, then you can kind of pick it up slowly. I don't know that there's any one, you know, model direction. Yeah. Or model. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree with Kyle. Like I think getting exposed to various different people, different projects, different ways of working, different industries gives you all these different like vantage points. And then I feel like at some point you can make sense of it and choose what makes you feel like the most either productive or happy or fulfilled. Yeah. I know for me, it was a very similar situation where it was, you know, trying out visual effects, trying out uh, working at a research center, trying out starting my own company, working at startups 
being an independent artist, uh, working at big tech companies that, you know, has allowed me to like have this like, you know, various different models with various different types of people with various different clients and deliverables. And that really has kind of shaped how I look at things. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really love Kyle uh, that you said that it, it is a spectrum. And I think the thing that you pointed out about being able to give feedback and push back on things is so important because there's this mistake that you can't push back on a client when they want something, but they're coming to you as an artist and for your point of view. And so if they suggest something if and you have a different point of view, you can definitely bring that to the table and it can become a middle ground where like it's not necessarily an end all be all. And to be able to uh, have that conversation and like feel empowered to have that conversation and have opinions is what makes you a good artist, you know? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I think the degree to which you can kind of learn to respect yourself will also filter down to the way that you treat other people you're collaborating with and the way that they see you. I mean, I've worked on a few projects where I thought that they were asking me for creative direction on the project. And then it turned out they also really wanted a lot of technical direction, but there wasn't any clear creative direction. And then this thing happened where because there was like a little bit of a creative void, it just got filled with some terrible advice from other people on the team. And, <laughs> um, and I realized like if I just kind of had the respect for myself on that project to mm -hmm. kind of step in and be like, look, I've actually got an opinion here and I, th I think I can kind of guide this a little bit if you'll let me. Um, that I bet a lot of people would have been really happy to have that, but I just wasn't ready on that project at that time. When did you get that self-respect for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it it's kind of, um, yeah, it's funny. There was actually a specific project, I think it was around 2014 or 2015, where a friend was just like, you know, I have this uh, ad, like commercial project, we're going to bring you in and try and brainstorm like what this Grammys show is going to be like. And we're going to try and make it as cool as possible. Lots of tech and all this kind of stuff. And Lots of tech. We're gonna, yeah, we're going <laughs> to we're going to pay you fifteen hundred dollars a day. And I was like, wow, to do what? Like, what do you need me to build? And they're like, no, 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 you're just going to come in. You're going to like brainstorm with us for fifteen dollars, fifteen hundred dollars a day. Sounds too good to be true. <laughs> but it, it turned out like it, that was just their budget. They're like a huge company and they had that ad budget. And I realized that like in the right context, my time really was worth a lot of money. Like, definitely. I think it's hard for artists sometimes to understand like how unique their perspective is because we're so entrenched in this gift economy of like, you know, we're trying to elevate ourselves within our community and give, give our work away. And, right. you know, we, we do have a value within the monetary economy and we don't always learn what that is unless the right person approaches us and puts a number on it. Right. I think it also just takes time to realize that yeah. to be, become confident in yourself, to become confident in the things you do know. Because I think when you're younger, you're just like, I don't know, I just graduated. What do I know about the world, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you realize it was all built by like people who are no smarter than you, right? And so you're like, oh, actually, I could chime in my opinion everywhere <laughs> if I want yeah, to. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Is there a project in particular, Reza, that kind of resonated with you? Oh, uh, resonate. Reza, um, I know. <laughs> Wow, I never noticed that before. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I think I've been lucky in the last like couple of years where a lot of clients were, they entrust me enough to be like, hey, like, you know, you know what you're doing, direct the creative direction, come up with ideas and then execute it. So I've been, I feel very fortunate that like my clients in the last couple of years have been like that. But I think earlier on in my career, there I did something like I did a project for Samsung where I was like making this like drawing app that was just about kinetic drawing. And I, I realized that like I had pitched something to them and they had agreed to as like a three month timeline to make like a full fledged Android app. At some point I realized like I did not have enough time or even like skill to finish. And I just didn't have enough courage to be like, I just need six months to actually finish this thing and make it really great. And I didn't know that I could just say that. I, I thought I was like letting them down mm. by saying, oh, I can't finish it in the time about it. And I was killing myself to get this thing done. Mm. And, in, and in reality, I should have just taken a step back and like, hey, we're doing something really ambitious and we want it to be really amazing and not, you know, just a dud. We need more time. 
yeah. and we need more budget. And that's just me being real and not, you know, I don't want to work for the next six months based off of like this 30K budget we had set aside. You know, right. it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, I think I worth, know that now. It's definitely yeah. worth having those conversations with producers and stuff, because if you want to do something that's good and you want to make sure you execute on it well, you also don't want to be miserable throughout the entire thing. <laughs> right. And so I think being able to have a conversation about timelines and stuff, um, if anything, it's like the point of a team is to find a middle ground in which mm-hmm. your artwork or your your work in general can be best displayed in the best way possible. And yeah. if there's a schedule or if there's a budget that just like impossible to meet, or it just makes it really difficult, there are definitely negotiation areas um, where things can change. Like even if the budget can't move, there are other ways that things can be done. And you just got to get creative with it. But like you can't get creative unless you bring it up. Um, and to have right. the ability to bring it up or feel comfortable to bring that up um, is huge. Yeah, I think you get that with experience. Like I entered the workforce at like 23, 24. And I you know, had just been in grad school where I guess it's a very different system from the commercial world, right? So they tell you what to do, you do your assignment, you turn it in, they grade it, you know, it's very different. And like the, in reality, like there's so much wiggle room. Yeah. And for <laughs> establishing an understanding and a contract that works for both people. And I think right. just being able to talk through that and using your words is, is super essential. Yeah. Um, this is something that I'll say um, over and over again. And I think it's because I'm biased as a as a producer, but like I think making friends with good producers and like keeping in touch with them as an artist is so essential because they're, they're the people that bring, um, like when they see a project, they bring artists in. They're the ones that can help you figure out like what to charge. And like for me, having been on the production side, I try really hard to make sure that like, you know, I come from advertising and stuff. So knowing when I bring an artist in, um, what budget they can play with or like, you know, cause I was going right. to, we had talked about this before. Um, Kyle, your project uh, who pays artists was incredible for people to start to see the crazy wide range that artists get paid to do specific things. And we don't have that kind of transparency. So usually when artists are working with commercial things, they don't even know what to charge. They don't know what their, how their time or their mind is being valued um, and where to even start. So that project by itself was pretty incredible. Thanks. Yeah. I, um, I was really worried when I was making that project that there would be some kind of blowback from institutions about, you know, other people discovering what they were paying. Um, but it turns out that everybody's actually just, everybody gets along better when there's more transparency around some of these things around payment. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it, I, anyone who's a successful artist should be doing the work to lift up the people who are just getting started because if they're not, it's just, it's it's a waste definitely um yeah yeah and there and there's some there's some organizations around the world that are doing this in a more um kind of coordinated way there's you know if you're in canada there's like a or in the uk there's a pretty standard rate that is given for artists working on different kinds of projects whether it's group show or solo show or um you know, whether it's a speaking thing at a university or whatever, there's some kind of standard rates that are usually pretty low, but they're given as a baseline and it makes sure that everyone has some basic amount of respect for the work that's being done. Um, and yeah, I think in the US, we still don't really have the conversation. We haven't had that conversation in a, mm-hmm. in a big way yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some organizations that are like teaching artists how to do that in small batches, like you've got creative capital that are teaching artists how to like value their time and to make timelines and budgets and all these kinds of things. Yeah. I, I'm happy to <laughs> have played a small part in, in continuing that discussion. That's awesome. Um, we'll make sure to add those resources in the podcast info. If you have any other ones, just let, let us know. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's like this, just talking transparently about money and all that stuff is so difficult for America in general or the rest of the world, perhaps. <laughs> I think no one's really comfortable totally. talking about it, but once you do, it's just like a huge sigh of relief for everybody else because they don't even know where to start. And if you give them a number, I mean, that's something that I try and do as a producer is like tell people what I've paid other people before when I've brought them into projects, um, what realistically is a window that they can ask for. And all that kind of stuff. And I wish there were a lot more allies who are open to doing that um, just because artists need that so badly because the range is just so crazy. <laughs> it's, it's kind of insane. Yeah. And there, there are a lot of these projects like the ones you're talking about, Reza, where um, there is a lot of wiggle room, especially for some of these bigger companies and bigger tech companies where 
you know, they've got a huge slush fund of advertising money that they can put into this kind of work. And if you need more, there is probably some way that they can wrangle it for you. Um, and then there's smaller companies and there's grants where you can't necessarily do that. You should know the difference. The mistake you don't want to make is like going to the small festival and saying, you know, actually my speaking fee is $5,000. And then them <laughs> coming back and saying, oh, we only had $500. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll just think that you hate them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but right. I think the more that we are kind of transparent with each other about these things, then kind of everyone will get along better. What What I wish is that there was more of a standard schedule that was based on kind of how long you've been doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the only thing that I, you know, everybody's got different amounts of um, maybe expertise or talent or, uh, you know, followers on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, like people just put the time in and I think that should be valued. And I think, yeah, it would be good if we had some baselines that were based just on how much time you've done, been doing work. I think it's important to have that, I think your portfolio and like your skills dictate a lot of that right now. Basically, it's like what you've done, who you've done that with, what your skill set is that really dictates your rate. I know for me, like there's a couple books that really were influential in um, kind of thinking about this. There's one called um, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like changed the way I think about career capital and, and leverage. I know that in my career, I've definitely tried to do the hardest things. And I know that that's not for everybody, but I, I really enjoy the intellectual pursuit of like figuring out hard problems. And I think because of that, you know, I don't necessarily think it's the amount of time that I've spent doing it because I, I feel like I've only been doing it for 10 years, which is actually a, a significant amount of time now that I say it out loud. Um, I think it's really like how you think, what skills you have that will dictate that kind of rate. But here's the thing, like, I also know, like, some brilliant, you know, 22 year olds who are who still blow my mind, like David Lee, you know, whenever I see oh his god. work, I'm just like, I when can't. You told me his age. Oh, my God. It was I, insane. I don't <laughs> even know how you did that. I think that time is a factor, but it's also just like, there are other things that factor in for sure. Like, you know, I get that. But I'm also kind of a socialist. So <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the best to respond to that. I feel like probably what should be happening in the arts is that we shouldn't have to work on as much commercial work as we do. We should all decide as a society that the arts are important and we should be paying for it, you know, at the government level in a really comprehensive totally. way. And if that was the case, then I think it would really come down to the end, you know, of uh, some kind of jury of your peers deciding what the value of your work is, but it would really heavily come down to how much time you've put into it, in my opinion. I remember uh, talking about Next Art events, uh, and I was talking to somebody in Amsterdam about putting on he these huge events. And I was asking him, like, how do you get, you know, sponsorship? How do you get support to do these huge things? And he was like, what are you what are you talking about? I just go to the government and they just give me money. To, I was like, wow, how nice. I've never had that before. Yeah, we haven't figured that out in America yet, really. No kidding. Yeah, I agree with you, Kyle. And it would be really nice to have the arts funded in that way. Just in the beginning of my career, it was like, how do I do this? It was such a big unknown, you know? It was scary. Yeah, it seems impossible. Actually, how did you guys find out how to pay your bills? Like, how did you find out how to make a living off of your work? Good question. I was in grad school and um, my parents had said, hey, congratulations. You made it to grad school. <laughs> uh, figure it out. You're an adult <laughs> now. And uh, I was like, okay, I had enough money for my first year of tuition. And I was paying out-of-state um fees so it was quite expensive and so the next year i was like okay i need a ta i need to like figure it out and i got super lucky because um at the time i had started posting my work online and i was just doing like you know tiny little data visualizations with processing and um, they were colorful and fun and this company uh, bbh reached out to me and they were like hey we really liked what you did on this project could you design us a couple interfaces that could communicate xyz and it was just a 10-hour project but i remember um the producer on the project was like so what is your rate and i was like i have no idea i this is the first time i've ever worked with a client and the, they were so kind to be like how about um i remember it was like how about a thousand dollars for this work 
and it was 10 hours of work. And I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. Like (laughs) (laughs) it was the first time I made like that much money in like that small amount of time. And I was just like, it opened my eyes. I was like, oh, this is how I can do it. This is how I could pay for grad school. Mm -hmm. And I just remember feeling so empowered by just writing, you know, some Java code. And I was like, wow. And designing, you know, I was like, this is it. This is how I will pay for my, my schooling and my life. And yeah, since then it, it just, that's just how I've been living. That's so awesome. It was it similar for you, Kyle. As I was finishing college and going through grad school, I started doing more collaborative work, mm-hmm. um, especially work where, uh, sorry, I was doing both collaborative work and I was kind of helping other artists realize their vision who, you know, they needed some kind of technical help to implement something that it wasn't their expertise. And that really helped because it gave me the chance to work with people in an arts context in a way that I got paid, but I could still see kind of the model of what they were doing to make the whole project work. I could see how they were managing me to get me to finish stuff. Sometimes I'd get to ask them about kind of bigger parts of the budget or how the project was being kind of organized and the timeline and stuff like that. And those models where I was basically just, you know, work for hire on some other artists project Mm -hmm. that had a huge effect on me. And I think I've transitioned from that working for other artists into more like client work for in a more corporate context, which can still be this kind of technical work for hire. But I feel like all of the ways that I work now when I'm making my own artwork are really heavily influenced by kind of doing work for hire for other artists. Wow. So you almost got to see a model um, in terms of how that could work for you while getting paid to do so, um, which is like the ideal situation. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you can see like what works and what doesn't or like models that people have already figured out and polished. So you can just kind of copy that um, and, and like add your own things to it to make it yours. Yeah. And sometimes it's really, you know, specific stuff like dollar amounts. And other times it's like, you know, please send me an invoice. And then me saying, what's an invoice? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, some like someone had to teach everyone to make an invoice the first time because like no one teaches that in school, right? How do I do my taxes? Totally. <laughs> What's an accountant? Oh my god! Oh, if I could, yeah. If I could tell everybody how useful it is to have an accountant um, for all this stuff, it's just oh my god, changed my life. But that's something that like no one really told me. I just like had to figure it out, and it was something that I resisted for such a long time. But once I got one, it was like oh, <laughs> this makes everything so much easier. But I think in terms of like the art and commercial stuff, are there fulfilling commercial projects that you've done? Like I'm sure through these processes, there's, I feel like in the fine arts world, a lot of times there are, there's this like thinking on commercial things as being um, like selling your soul or feeling like it's not the real work. Um, But for me, that definitely hasn't been the case. There have been plenty of commercial things that I've done that have kind of shaped the way that I do my own stuff. Are there specific projects that you guys have done that has kind of that same impact? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you're if you feel like you're selling your soul to do commercial work, then you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You either don't have the right contacts yet or you haven't figured out how to present yourself in a way that is, you know, most viable for the kind of work that you want to be doing that's most um kind of soul enriching. One of the first projects I worked on that was really satisfying that was definitely commercial work was um, called Missing uh, for Sonos, the speakers company. Um, I was working with uh, Matt Metz and Aramie Krauthammer and this band, the XX, British band. And we made this big installation with like 50 speakers that followed you through the space, playing a kind of spatialized version of one of the band's songs. And uh, it was super fun. It was just like, we really got to bring the concept from the very beginning. And um, it was inspired by a bunch of you know, sound art that was just like references that I was always making, but things that I never thought I'd be able to make something at that scale. It turns out that when you get a proper budget from like a big company and they have some way of even maybe throwing their product into the mix that makes it possible to like put 50 speakers in a space, then some of these bigger ideas are possible. Um, and that was really satisfying. I mean, yeah. And so sometimes it happens like that where it turns out just having a bigger budget and the right space makes projects possible that wouldn't be possible otherwise other times it's just like uh you know i did a residency at spotify once where that wasn't like a single project per se but um that's just incomparable to anything else i mean there's 
like the idea of going inside one of these big companies and like talking to engineers on a daily basis and then having that influence your own work, which is very like my work's pretty kind of tech critical and uh, yeah, to kind of be on the inside and get that insight was irreplaceable. That's something that I couldn't get from just saying like, oh yeah, I'm going to write a grant so that I can go hang out around Spotify. <laughs> it's totally different when you convince them to like let you have a residency there. Yeah, that's awesome. Reza, what about you? I mean, I definitely want to echo what Kyle said. I think that if you're not finding the commercial work that aligns with kind of your your soul and where you want to take your work, I think you got to position yourself differently or, or keep trying or keep networking until you find those opportunities. I know for sure that I've done commercial work that has been really, really fulfilling. Like I worked at Google for about a year and a half and I worked on their um, web-based uh, AR and VR efforts. And I think that work was extremely satisfying in the sense that like, sure, I got to make a bunch of cool demos, but also like make a piece of technology that other people could then create experiences with. And I think in my career, it's been like, I definitely love open source. I love making things that other people can use to make their things. So I think that aligned really well with my interests and my, um, my goals. So that was really an example of a commercial thing that I did that I felt really proud of. I'm still very proud of it. And you should be. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it, you know, I'm very proud of that work. Um, and it fed my soul until it didn't, you know, <laughs> then I moved on to the next project, right? You know, life ebbs and flows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get, you know, as a person with a lot of interests, I think that for me, after about, you know, realistically, like six months to a year and a half, like I need to change projects to, to you know, scratch that itch um, to just, you know, figure something else out. I know that uh, I worked at Apple for about a year and worked on a project that gave me the opportunity to just like make a bunch of amazing art and that fed my soul a lot. And then, you know, when I ended that contract and I couldn't show anyone, that was a little sad, uh, but I was just grateful for the opportunity to spend a year getting paid to make work. And it was, yeah, I mean, like those, those are the two projects I think that really aligned commercially, like commercial projects that aligned with my interests quite a bit. That said, I've definitely done some projects that, um, I don't necessarily regret, but I, in retrospect, I was like, okay, I did that mainly for money and, um, and I've learned something from that project, which is to, you know, be a little bit more critical when I choose projects. Um, but I think that's also, there's a lot of reasons to take on work and totally. it's not just about making something that feeds your soul. It's not just about making something that pays the bills. And like you said, Natalie, these reasons kind of come and go and change depending on where you are in your life. And I, I think it's um, the danger is becoming too kind of puritanical about this or, or I guess maybe too purist about it. Just saying like, you know, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it that way. I mean, reality is complicated. It's messy. Right. Like we've <laughs> we've got to negotiate yes. and being an artist, especially. Yeah, it's just not straightforward. There's no easy solution here. So, you know, do whatever works for you. And if someone's telling you it's wrong, then they probably have too narrow a view of what art can be, mm. or they don't understand where you're coming yeah. from. I think that earlier on in my career, I, I wanted these rules to live by, like, you know, algorithms to live my life. <laughs> and the more and more I live my life, I realized that like, life is sloppy and messy and there's a lot of like gray area and you really have to um not so much create rules but maybe live by values and frameworks yeah. and have wiggle room for when you need to change your mind and when you have new pieces of data that you know that inform your decisions or new emotions or life scenarios mm -hmm. that will influence um your decisions. I know that recently I went through a breakup and I just need, wanted people around me. So I worked, I worked at a studio for four months and that was really great for me, you know? Yeah, that's great. Um, we're all just, we're all just little computers in this ocean of life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually on that gray area note, um, you know, there have been a lot of fulfilling projects, but have your own ethics or values ever been compromised in a project before? And if they were, How'd you work around it? I think about this a lot. I mean, I haven't worked really at Google, but I have done a few projects for them. And I kind of have to reconsider the relative value of my work every time I do that. 
because uh, I mean, on one hand, I get paid to learn about what I love, like Reza was saying, you know, it carves out this space that it gives you a chance to learn and explore that you might not have otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean, my work is, it gets used to inspire other people. I get to pay my friends well if I'm working with them. I learn a lot about how these companies work on the inside. But I mean, when I'm doing like machine learning work with a company that once considered helping the military use machine learning to analyze drone imagery, oh God. that's just whitewashing, basically. So, I mean, I try and make a lot of justifications. You'll hear me make justifications for this. Mm -hmm. But I think in the end, it comes down to like, I don't think anyone is really pure. I don't think you can somehow be free from being complicit with capitalism and with everything that's happening in tech. But I do think that we can take steps in each of our lives to do a little better. For people who are working inside Google, there's a lot of people organizing to make sure that these kind of contracts don't happen. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. For me, it means I'm trying to slowly transition to other kinds of income, like finding more public funding for my artwork. Mm -hmm. But I, again, I'm cautious of kind of drawing super hard boundaries because, you know, life is sloppy. Right. Yeah. I had a similar scenario where I worked for a client whose client was Facebook. And um, initially I was very kind of torn whether to do the project. And then I just gave them a super high rate and then they said, okay. And so then I, uh -oh. <laughs> then I had to do the project. Didn't expect that. So I was like, this will make them go away. And it didn't. Um, and so, um, but I think what I learned through that project was like, yeah, life is sloppy and maybe don't threaten people by a high rate. Maybe just, <laughs> you know, think, think about your value and, and uh, um, whether you really care about that project and, and kind of, and if you can not take it, if it doesn't align with your values and you have the money to just toss it aside, I'll then do that, yeah. sure. But um, yeah. at the time I needed, I needed to do it. And so um, I did it. I was just going to say, I think, um, you know, everybody has different boundaries. I know artists who not only re would refuse to work with Facebook, they'd refuse to work with Google. Not only would they refuse to work with Google, they refuse to receive emails from people with Google email addresses, like wow. that oh, wow. kind of extreme. Um, and everyone has to find their place of comfort. I don't want to critique anybody for being kind of on this side or that side of my line, but right. I think the danger is just not reflecting on these things. I mean, when I was getting started, I talked with some friends a lot about, you know, in the ad industry, there's questions about smoking or big oil. And in like the 2010s, people were thinking, well, you know, if Exxon comes to you and wants to project some uh, <laughs> like projection mapped visuals onto one of their oil rigs, <laughs> like, what are you going to say? And then it happened and we got the email and it was like, well, this is easy. Like we actually talked about this. We prepared for this <laughs> moment. We're going to, we can tell them no, and we can tell them why, wow. and it's fine. So I think the trick is just have these conversations with yourself and with your friends mm. and decide where your ethics are yeah. and you'll be ready to like be clear minded about those moments. I was going to say that is a very specific example. And then you went into the actuality of it and I was like, oh, damn. Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think lining that out, lining those values out earlier than later before you, before you get, start getting these projects coming into your inbox is super important. Um, because if you don't have a fine, like defined value system, um, then it's hard to really know where you draw the line when these things start coming in. And I think that's often yeah. what helps with having like a distinct art practice is that you know where those things are drawn and you know what interests you, you know, you know what things would kind of bring you in and like, you know, what kind of things would make you better as a creative person. And then, you know, as you do more work, you start to also know what makes you miserable. <laughs> so you learn to steer away far, far away yeah. from those things. Yeah. I remember early in my like schooling in college, uh, I took this science, technology and society class that really opened my mind about like, okay, this technology exists. This is how it's useful to society. But then these are the effects, the oh. side effects of Ooh. that technology. And I think that was the one class that made me really think critically about like, okay, this is what exists. This is how it changes the world. This is why it's good. Mm -hmm. This is why it's bad. And like, since I took that class, I always have that framework whenever I'm like looking at a piece of technology, just trying to see both sides of the advantages and disadvantages. Yeah. I think Kyle, you brought up a really interesting point of like a lot of people not willing to even come in contact with Google, but at the same time, knowing that a lot of our friends work there and they work there for a reason, you know, it's like, 
they pay really well. They want health insurance. They have a family, you know, living in San Francisco or wherever is very expensive. And so everyone has their values and like um, measurements in which they are willing to take on specific jobs. Um, And I like this is a question I actually was super interested in is because in our specific line of work in tech, you know, we're in a day and age where Silicon Valley is huge, where engineers are literally getting paid like six figures when they get out of college, which is crazy. But a lot of us choose to make artwork and we choose to remain independent. And so how did you decide to do that for yourselves? Like, how did you decide that you wanted to walk away from, you know, Reza, you also worked at a lot of these big companies and ultimately landed on being independent. And that's a huge choice, you know, like, I know that being independent comes with a lot of different things. Like now you have to do your own paperwork and accounting and health insurance and stuff. But, you know, we're all there. Uh, how, how does that work out for you? Well, um, for me, my brainwashing since I was a kid was, you know, go to college, go to grad school, get a job, live your life, um, or just keep working, get married, have kids. So like when I graduated from school and I got my first job at Nokia Research, I think after about six months, I was like, okay this is cool. It's a research context. I enjoy the work, but like, I was kind of like, when am I going to get to do my own work again? And so that kind of like question always kind of was there in the back of my mind. And I, and I did leave that lab to go do my own work. I think it was just my, my personal choice of just like wanting to just, you know, I'm very curious about a lot of things. And sometimes when you're working a job, they basically kind of set you aside and they're like, okay, you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You're going to work on these problems. And I think for me, I just got kind of bored. And at some point I wanted to explore my own curiosity. So I wish I had more like endurance to just work at these companies, but I don't. So that's why I've always left after a year, or a year and a half. I think it was, I was like very rebellious when I was younger. I've always wanted to be an artist. So I just you know, I played out the traditional kind of role to appease the parents. But then after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to go do my own thing. And I did that for the majority of my 20s. And then living in San Francisco, you know, in my late 20s, it was just becoming increasingly difficult to uh, have a good quality of life. And so I, before I left to the Bay Area, I was like, I just want to see how people do it. I want to see what it's like to work at Google. And or Apple or one of these big companies. And, and how was it, Reza? <laughs> and it was it was incredible. <laughs> I finally like once I first got my like sign on bonus and like first couple paychecks, I was like, oh my god, this is how people afford the seven dollar toast. Catered food? They do my food. laundry? Oh my god. I mean, it was you know, they're nap pods. I was just <laughs> like, I'm barely working, making so much money. Like, what is this reality? Right. Wow. Um, but then and, you left it. And, but then I left it because you look around and you're like, Well, you, I mean, like, you know, there's there's a couple different, I think, tracks, right? You can you can go super hard and keep your career going and go up the ladder, right? Or you can just say you can coast and chill and just collect equity. And for me, I think uh, my decision to leave was not necessarily about like financial. It was more just like I was ready to leave the Bay Area. And Google didn't really have any interesting job positions open in in LA where I moved. So I just decided, well, I think the best thing I can do is, is leave and do the next thing that's interesting to me. So that was the reason I left Google. And just it, coincidentally, Apple had this contract where they wanted to find someone to do a lot of technical art. And so it just kind of worked out where I just transitioned. And that that was a very interesting role because I was contract for the entire year. So it's not like I was going into wow. the office every day. So it was very yeah. independent. But it was stable in some way. Yeah. Um, I'd like our listeners to know that both of these people now live in LA after living in San Francisco and New York. So just saying something about LA. 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 <laughs> um, but Kyle, your your timeline or your career line has been kind of different. You were teaching for a while, right? And yeah. from what I see, it's been mostly independent outside of the teaching. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I The only W-2 I've ever received was from NYU for teaching there, which is huge. Um, like <laughs> privilege <laughs> to not ever have had to do anything except uh, 1099 um, work. But it's also, you know, it was a little scary early on. I, I've always flirted with, you know, wondering would I make sense inside one of these big companies, but for different reasons, mm-hmm. like the reasons I've thought about it have changed. You know, when I first got out of grad school, 
I was thinking, you know, maybe I should work at one of these big companies so that I can just make any money at all. Like it's so scary to constantly be waiting for the next thing and seeing if you can survive and you've got to pay rent. And I was living in New York and it's expensive and moving ever farther from Manhattan. And anyway, um, and then later it was like, oh yeah, well maybe um, now I can pay my rent, but I've still got these college loans that are going to last for the next 50 years. Maybe I can pay them faster mm -hmm. if I worked at a big company and still kind of said no. And then recently I've just been wondering, like, you know, some people with very similar skills to me get paid way more than I do to work at these companies. Yeah. Maybe I could accomplish even more just by working in one of those spots and then kind of giving my money to other artists right. who are doing just, you know, Amazing. at least as good work as I do. But, um, and there are some people who do that actually, but, uh, I just, I, I don't think it's for me. I mean, there's sort of the the joke is that like, no one should become an artist unless they absolutely <laughs> can't do anything else. And sometimes I really feel that like there's some way in which whenever I try and get too close to um, kind of corporate infrastructure, I feel like an allergic reaction coming on it. <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, my like you're living a lot. Imagine yeah. losing the moment you go through a big door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like my it's something about my kind of sense of freedom and independence is starting to be challenged in a way where like I want to feel I don't know I I need an ability to kind of be independent mm -hmm. and I think that I've never felt that when I get close to these companies but I also think you know like Reza you were saying you know you're kind of brainwashed as a kid to like live a certain life and in some ways I'm very fortunate that you know, I grew up in a big family where my parents actually never really had the time to brainwash me in some ways. <laughs> um, Thanks for the neglect, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, like they they took so much care of me, but they never really told me like, you know, you better get a well-paying job as right. a, you know, whatever. They were very supportive in whatever direction I went because it was way easier to just be supportive than to try and figure out you know, what the best paying job was going to be in the future. And then this other thing happened, which was like, as I was finishing up school, I got brainwashed by artists, like a bunch of other people who were making art started to convince me like, yeah, no big deal. You can just, you know, travel from place to place, do workshops, contribute to open source communities, make projects based on public, you know, funding and, and show them in festivals. And if you make it good enough and kind of build all your contacts and say the right things to the right people, then you can survive off this. And, you know, it's not completely true, but like they brainwashed me enough to like believe that that was the life I could live. And um, I've been trying to make it happen for a long time and it kind right. of works. And, the, uh, you know, a lot of that comes from like, I'm a white guy. Like I, I grew up middle class. Like there's a lot of struggles I didn't have to get to this point. Right. Um, but I think that basically uh, one of the reasons I just haven't gone into the corporate world is because I haven't had to. And I was brainwashed by people the other way mm. to believe that I didn't have right. to. I love how both sides are brainwashing. In contrast to my my upbringing, it was like my parents were, you know, straight from Pakistan, and I'm first generation American. They they had their PhDs in mathematics, and they became professors. And eventually, my dad ended up starting his own business. But for a while, like I just remember my mom saying, like, "Oh, like you need to get a job. You need to get like, you know, when's your next contract? Oh, I'm so thankful you're working at Google. Like, you know, just like so like living in this kind of like fear mentality um because i think that's just like where we came from like right you know there's a lot of poverty in those countries in pakistan and india so i think for them like having a safe career like doctor lawyer you know engineer i just remember like growing up and wanting to be a graphic designer and they were like no you're not going to go to that high school you're not going to study art so it was very much like you know there was a different very different um upbringing but you know eventually you're going to do what you want because if you're an artist at heart you know if you can't live a lie it's just going to come out you'll do everything you can to, to be who you are absolutely yeah. hopefully i kind of find, find it funny that i'm a little bit in the middle ground where my parents are immigrants as well and i was just a natural born i leaned artistically but they didn't so it wasn't that they didn't want me to be an artist they just had no idea how to help me they just had no idea what a career as an artist would be they've never seen one and so they were so cautious of me going into this field and originally i was studying to be a lawyer in undergrad um and when i said i wanted to go the creative route they were like cautious and they were like okay well you know as long as you have a plan 
you know, but remember, you can always go back to law school. And like now, you know, this deep into it, they're kind of almost impressed because they're like, okay, we know that you'll figure it out. And we know that you're making it work. And we don't know how you are, but we trust you. But I wish there was so much more exposure in terms of like in public, how many people actually do make a living being creative and being an artist. And what are the different realms in which we can do so? Because we see it literally every day when we're walking down the street and stuff. There are posters that are being made. There are products that we touch. There are like things that we download on our phones that are all being made by designers and artists and creatives. But I guess a lot of our parents just haven't been exposed to that as an option or they don't associate that to someone who's a creative. I mean, they should probably just listen to this podcast and know it's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They could go back to the other episode where you're talking about uh, yeah. how you explain to your parents what you do, right? But then the problem is like once they listen to it, then that job title will change and it's just ever flowing. It's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Jobs are constantly changing right now. Like right now you can be an influencer, you can be a YouTuber, like these careers that never existed before yeah. are popping up. And it's liberating because a lot of them are about creativity, humanity society. I mean, just like, it's kind of nice, actually. These jobs are not so much like, um, yeah, they're just different. Even in the last 10 years or so, I mean, the way that this industry has worked has changed. I've seen a lot of the work that I used to do around maybe 2009 to 2014 or 15 um, has turned to being done in-house or there's kind of new agencies and bigger creative studios that have some of those same skills that I was offering as kind of an individual, independent freelancer. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen something similar, Reza. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have the term creative technologist or UX engineer, I think is to some degree is what I do. But um, obviously, I think (laughs) I I don't like to like box myself in like that. But yeah, a lot of people have in-house teams now that do what I used to offer as well. And it's great because now I can do other things or keep evolving. And I think that's the natural process of things. I don't try to fight it. I try to roll and evolve. Kind of in that same evolution, you know, when you guys started your careers, it feels like there wasn't as much stuff overtly like publicized for what we all do in terms of being creative and doing tech work. And now it's just like so much more common. Have you noticed that change and has it helped your professional career at all? Definitely noticed the change. I think in terms of helping my professional career, I think because I've been doing this for so long and so has Kyle and a bunch of us, I think we have, like, I've been told that, like, in a lot of, like, pitch decks, like, my work shows up. I'm sure that happens to Kyle all the time. I get lucky that sometimes they even reach out to me and ask to work on the projects still. That needs to be more common for those of you who are listening, who work in the commercial world. Don't just put us on the mood boards. Make sure you hire and reach out to the artists who are doing that work. Yeah, good call. We're we're often willing to listen to your inquiries. That's right. <laughs> Another thing that's been really helpful with the kind of popularization or kind of broader knowledge of what's going on in this field is that it's opened up possibilities for teaching and workshops. And, you know, a a lot of what I do is about education, not just making work, but also helping people get like the stepping stones that they need to make this work their own. And I think if people didn't know that this was possible, they wouldn't know who to ask about this or. Yeah, that's helped me out that's a awesome. lot too. Yeah, um, I think education's huge. As I like have grown older, I think a part of me just wants to give back mm. the knowledge that I've attained over the last ten years. Whether that's like how to write shaders, or you know, managing open source projects, or just how to do business. And so, I definitely think like as I evolve now, I'm thinking about like what's a sustainable business practice. Are there opportunities to create open source kind of tools and frameworks that will then keep feeding me in the future that will help other creative technologists and developers like make good work? And so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at in my career, where I'm thinking about like, okay, what are the higher level tools that I can create or what are the frameworks that I can enable other people to use or how can I teach things that I know that can fund me in a way that's like, I don't always have to do commercial work, but I can help people who are doing the commercial work right kind of attack it from a different angle yeah and sometimes people get kind of worried about this when they start seeing uh education becoming like super accessible i've i've seen some people who are like scared of sharing their tools or their process or they're scared when they see other people kind of doing things that are similar to work that they've done in the past but 
I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, you've always got something that no one else can touch or take, which is your own creativity. And that can't be taught or replicated. That's something that you have to foster as an individual. Yeah. There's always going to be a need for people like you. Um, And I mean, you broadly, not just you. But you especially, Reza. (laughs) Yeah. But especially you, Reza. Um, People who can kind of move quickly. (laughs) Just a little love fest in this podcast. Your, your individual brand personality style um, does play a huge part in the world of like commercial art. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. People will come to you because they saw something really interesting and unique that you created. I think it's important to find your voice a hundred percent because that's, that is. Are we talking about the, the Royal you no, or I mean, the uh, Kyle just, you? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about everyone who's listening, who's, <laughs> making work i think it's important to have your own you know perspective and work that is uniquely yours because that's that's mainly why clients have come to me they're like we like this thing that you did you know it's unlike other things that we've seen i think it's important to to find originality and i think the biggest thing that one thing i will say is like when apple recruits they're not looking for people with just the same shiny portfolio they're looking for people who are kind of independent thinkers who are kind of making projects that they haven't really seen before, that's something that tickles their brain in a way that they haven't experienced. I think it's about having that unique creativity that will set you apart. Yeah, I think a really great example of like a statement for a portfolio is Lauren McCarthy's where I'm going to butcher it, but she says she basically encompasses her work around hacking social interactions. And that sentence made it so easy for me to understand what exactly where to put her in a project um, or what project would gravitate towards her work or her sensibilities. And so for you guys, is there a specific way in which you've positioned your portfolios or online personas to get the certain work that you want, or at least for people to interpret your work in a specific way? Something I've tried to do is just be very kind of vocal when it comes to social media in my criticism Mm -hmm. of different companies and things happening in society, things happening with different tech, because I feel like if anybody can if any corporation can come to me after seeing that and like still be okay working with me it's probably going to be all right (laughs) oh that's awesome yeah it's so nice to hear that because most people are so afraid to be opinionated on social especially if they want commercial work they're like oh we can't disappoint google or facebook or something um but it's nice to know that's actually a really great distinction that like the more particular you are with your opinions the more people know what to go to you for yeah you know we're artists we're not bootlickers we're gonna (laughs) yeah we're gonna hopefully be the immune system to society and not the thing that reinforces all of the things that we're trying to avoid. I'm going to write that down, immune system to society. Yeah, I agree with Kyle. I've been pretty vocal on Twitter about what kind of work I want to do. And and I know that that's going to close a couple doors and might open some other doors. I know that I've definitely like put out my dreams on Twitter and they have come back and companies have reached out and it's been such a delightful kind of thing to be able to be um to just say i want to you know make forms and objects with creative code and people are like hey so i heard that you want to you know and so it's really nice for that stuff to kind of feedback um twitter is a great place to kind of define your persona find the work and the people you want to align with i guess it's also important to have a portfolio of work that you're proud of if I'm not proud of a project, it never makes it onto the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something someone definitely told me where when I was working in advertising, especially when we pitched projects, um, we always used to say never pitch something that you don't want to make. And I think that goes back into doing your portfolio as well. Like don't put a project on your portfolio just because you made it if you don't want to make it again, because uh, you can be sure that when a client reaches out to you, they're going to be asking you to make that one thing that you hated making. And you just don't want to put yourself in that position again, hmm. or at least like, you know, be honest and outline the things that you liked about it or the things that you didn't. And I think people really like when they can understand the process in which you've made that project and what, um, what you took away from it and what you can apply to other things. Yeah, I think it's smart to hype up the things that you're excited about and just don't talk about the stuff that you don't, wouldn't want to do again. And I think it's also really helpful to give people an opening, like to say publicly what you're interested mm-hmm. in working on and make sure that people know. I think no one really has a great imagination. They just kind of follow up with whatever you say you want to do. They're not trying to like pin down, oh, what would what would the ideal project for Reza be? You know, they're they're just looking to see like, oh, what does Reza say right. he wants to work on? You know, what has Reza done before? So I think it really comes down to how you present where you're interested in heading next. 
So what do you guys want to work on? (laughs) (laughs) I think I mentioned it a little bit before, but yeah, I just want to work on frameworks and tools that enable other people's creativity. Nice. I know you've made a lot of like tools and things for other people to make their own like shaders and things like that. So that's been so awesome to watch. Yeah. I want to make more of those. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Kyle? Is there anything in particular? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of going in two completely different directions right now. One is about kind of making interactive experiences that help people gain deeper insight into how machine learning and AI work, not in a didactic way, but kind of in a playful way. And then this other direction is more about indigenous technology and like a different way of understanding the relationship between technology and society. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of connected to the work I mentioned I'm doing with this nonprofit. That's so exciting. Um, when are those things coming out? Uh, later this year for the stuff around AI will be the kind of first project in that direction. And hopefully early next year for the other work. You guys make me feel extremely underachieving. It's <laughs> just like casually, just two massive projects. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so lastly, um, are there resources that you'd recommend for other people who are just getting into being an artist or who have been in the arts for a while, but probably haven't heard of certain resources, like I would just scream, get yourself an accountant. But are there like websites or tools or things that you have found really helpful for your own work? I mean, my main piece of advice would actually be to just ask people, like ask online, ask in person, ask any chance you get, just ask people who you look up to. And there's a good chance that they're either interested in, you know, giving you a sentence or two of advice, or maybe they even want to brag about some you know, big project that they worked on in a way that they can't publicly, but maybe they can talk about it in a more private way. And there's something to learn there. They might even, you know, think, oh, this person that's bugging me about this, actually, maybe I'd like to collaborate with them sometime. I think that we really undervalue that kind of one-on-one advice in an age of social media and something that we could all get a little more out of. But I'm also going to just mention one tool that's been really helpful for me over the last few years, which has been Toggle, which is just a time tracking app. I think there's a lot of different time tracking apps out there. And um, I've been working with a studio manager for the last year and a half. And she asked me a question when we started working together, which was like, are you actually getting paid for all of the time that you work? I misunderstood it at first. I thought it was like, you know, whenever you put time in, do you get paid for it? But the question was like, are you actually working the amount of hours that you think you're going to work on a project? Or are you like way overworking what you think you're doing? And I didn't have an answer because I just wasn't tracking how much time I spent. And that was really helpful when I started tracking. That's great. Because mostly, usually when you're working on a project, it's a lot, you're using a lot of time that you wouldn't think are is directly connected to the project like it's not just coding the thing or designing the thing it's all a lot of like administrative things it's a lot of like meetings it's a lot of things that are outside of just working on the actual execution um, and those are all things to consider um, when building out a project mm-hmm. rosa what about you any resources yeah, I think echoing what Kyle said, I remember just cold emailing tons of people asking for advice or just asking them all the questions I had and then talking to my friends who were older, how do I do this in a way that's like most optimal? And I think a lot of their advice came down to like interfacing with the world and you have to understand first off, like how do you structure your practice? So I think it's like do you have a business? Are you doing things under a business? Like, how can you expense things? It's as simple as like, yeah. how are you getting paid? Do you have a CPA that will help you maximize like um, how you can spend your money? I think time tracking, like I use things like Harvest and Gusto and things to organize my life. My calendar is essential. I think a couple of books that really helped me were um, So Good They Can't Ignore You, Essentialism. You know, these kind of books help me kind of like figure out what is most important Mm -hmm. in what I'm doing and how to maximize that and kind of just set up like a framework of how I think about work. I think that's kind of my piece of advice. And also just like talk to people. It's so important to just to like ask questions and don't be afraid if they're going to think you're like ignorant or stupid. I think it's just like, you know, I'm always the person asking that stupid question, but I think because of that, you learn so much more because you have the courage to do that. I think the crazy thing is if you think it's a stupid question, there are probably a bunch of other people who are not asking that same question because they think it's stupid. 
Um, but the moment you ask it, everyone is just so relieved. Yeah, they're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it a lot easier for everyone else. And like the more transparent we are about these questions, the more like the easier it'll be for us to manage our own creative lives and our own careers. Yeah. Um, just because I'm sure that these are all things that don't have an answer. These are, I mean, just the three of us in this podcast by itself have kind of had different ways in which we measure our work and um, find new work and all that kind of stuff. So totally. it's nice to get like, and a good understanding of how other people do it and then design your own techniques or design your own ways of managing that. Just you guys by itself is like managing your time, totally different software that you use and tools that you use just for that. But it's so nice that there are also a lot of avenues in which we can go to like make our own ways of managing all this craziness. Whew. Oh, the last thing I want to say is a community. Community is huge. I think just having people that you meet up with and uh, socially talk to and, and exchange you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it and getting perspective and support, I think is very understated, but very essential in the whole process. Yeah, I'm a huge, I a huge agree with that. I think it's also really helpful to see yourself not as only someone who is being mentored, but also someone who is mentoring. Like it's great if you can find a community where you're not just asking for help or telling people, here's what I'm excited about or working on, but you're also being able to, you're there to give feedback to other folks. And there's even ways that you can kind of advise other people. Then you get to see yourself as more of this like long process rather than just at one end or the other. Awesome. Um, I feel like working from home and all that stuff is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I was like, oh man, should we get into that now? But that's a whole nother, like, how do you even manage to do that? Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's talking, we could talk about contracts. We could oh, talk gosh. about subcontractors. We could talk about, there's so many Well, you guys, that means that you guys will be back for another episode. Yeah. I hope. Great. Great. We get into the new, hopefully it won't be just like um, uh, talking shop and like having to talk about all these like ugly parts of managing your own artistic practice but like the creative side and the fun things that don't like scare people away from it right. <laughs> um, but if anything I, there's a lot of fun. yeah I, I think like I I hope people who are listening to this get excited but like know that we're all struggling with the same thing but we're doing it because we love the work and we want to do more of it so awesome well you can find Reza's work at syedrezaali.com and Kyle McDonald at kylemcdonald.net uh, thanks you both. Thank, hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> thank you both so much for joining us. This is so awesome. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, Natalie. All right. Whew. We did it. <sighs> we did it. Oh, God, I don't know why I'm always so. Nervous.